When I was 15, I got my very first job, and it was the result of my friend Doug looking in the local newspaper and seeing that the YMCA was hiring lifeguards. So I decided, what the heck? I was on the swim team, and, well, being a lifeguard would be kind of cool. So we paid $30 down at the YMCA, took the water safety instructor course so we could become lifeguards. And in our mind, we saw a lot of women running around in bikinis. While we, studly lifeguards, sat in the towers with our sunglasses on and smiled down at them. You know, the perfect 16-year-old male plane, why not? Well, what it turned out to be is the YMCA that got the certification from actually hired us. And, you know, we were excited about that. It's my very first job. But what I ended up doing was watching old people swim laps. So being a lifeguard is pretty boring, as you can imagine. I mean, you sit there and you watch people swim. That's all you do. And you sit in your chair and you blow your whistle and yell at them, basically. But when it's old people swimming, there's no yelling. There's nothing to do. You sit in a chair all day long. So... To stem the boredom, I decided to bring a book. And after a while, reading books while watching the pool got boring in and of itself, so I decided to have some friends come over. And they came and hang out with me. Unfortunately, they brought beer and, well, other things. So as you might imagine, if you're a member of the YMCA or any club for that matter, and you look up and the lifeguard is carrying on with his or her friends back in the lifeguard office drinking beers and smoking cigarettes and not watching you swim, well, you might get kind of upset. That's what my boss told me, at least. And I tried to understand. I tried to understand in my 15-year-old mind when she looked at me and said, so we're going to let you go. And I remember rolling that phrase around in my mind. It was the first time I'd ever heard it. Going to let me go. And I just looked back at her and I said, well, I... I don't really want to go. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. But uh, I need this job. And I remember the look on her face was just priceless. She looked at me with a look of pity. It looked like she wanted to give me a hug. And a look of disdain. I'm not sure how you can mix all that together, but she managed it. She said, no, see, actually, what I'm trying to tell you is, well, you're You're fired. I just stared back at her. And I remember at the time, the line from the Jetsons going through my head where Mr. Spacely yells at George, Jetson, you're fired! So this happened at the start of my shift and no one was there to pick me up. I couldn't drive yet. As I mentioned, I had my permit. Uh, You don't actually get your license in California until you're 16. And I was only 15. But the good news was it was only about a half mile, three quarters of a mile away from my house. So I just walked home. And I remember being tortured the entire way home of the girls in the bikinis in my mind staring at me and laughing. Big strapping lifeguards, don't get fired.
Welcome to the opening episode of This Developer's Life. And with this podcast, I'm sort of following in the footsteps of This American Life. But what I want to do is show more of a human side of the technology industry. My goal is to talk to developers and technology people of all shapes and sizes, of all camps, and bring about the human side of their stories. And so this week, I thought I'd start off with, I suppose, uh, well, a bit of a dark topic about getting fired. And I should probably explain why I picked that topic. And it's because whenever I start a new venture, it could be, well, it could be a new relationship with, uh, with a friend, or it could be buying a car, maybe a new job. I always wonder how it's going to end. And in a way, thinking about the end somehow allows me to come to terms with the idea that the venture that I'm doing is not really permanent, at least in a grand universal sense. Nothing's really permanent. So I thought, shoot, why not think about the end of things? Might as well discuss getting fired. So to start things off, I have two storytellers and then one story from myself. The first is a Microsoft developer. Um, so the first the first time I'd ever gotten fired, I definitely, definitely deserved it. Sarah J. Chips, Microsoft developer, currently lives in New York, leads the Girl Develop It program, and has a blog up at girldeveloper.com. She leads things off for us today. One of my first jobs was with a, um, a company. They are, I will call them, um, they're more like a contracting company for like almost like a Home Depot for contractors. It was um, a family-owned business that had kind of taken off and expanded, and now they had about 30 stores or so over this area. And they had a monster data warehouse. Their data warehouse consisted of about maybe 200 tables. Um, Maybe three or four dozen of them actually contained data that was relevant to anything. There were a ton of tables called like table test four and like table Steve temporary and like all kinds of stuff. It had been around for um, about 10 years and it had just kind of evolved with all these um, different data warehouse people coming in and uh, and leaving. They had a they had a high turnover rate because of um, the guy that ran um, the the technical department was one of the original family that had started this business and he was very um everyone was really afraid of him um because if he got angry you would definitely feel his wrath no matter um you know no matter who you are it was just you know uh kind of thrown in your direction so but I never really had to deal with him at all, um, you know, being that I was just a lowly uh, DBA. Um, we, every week would consist of, I don't know if you, I believe it was called Cognos. That's what their, uh, that is what their POS system was using, Cognos. And every um, day overnight, Cognos would export all its data, because we were using SQL Server. And at the time, there was no painless way to go from, like Cognos to SQL Server. So overnight, it would export all the data to text files, and then it would use one of those programs. It would take all the data and um, put it 
it delimit it correctly based on spacing and pull it into SQL every night. And in the mo- most of my mornings consisted of coming in and seeing what data didn't make it and figuring out why and kind of like putting in a conditional for that particular case and making sure the data came over. Every weekend, this report was run for um, for the the head. Uh, oh no, the actually the head of the company, the guy that ran Mister Contracting Home Depot, whatever the name is. Um, it was his report, and it would give him sales for the weekend, um, the sales for the previous week, and numbers, growth, you know, stuff like that. And um, this one week. So you know what's coming here. Every story about bad news always starts with, and this one time, and it's worth it to set the stage just a little bit more in case you don't know who Sarah J. Chips is. She is a very enterprising young lady. She is very into uh, enabling women in development. She has a Girl Develop It program. She's very uh, community-oriented. In fact, she sits on a lot of panels and gets asked a lot of questions about women in technology. To say that she's very bright and very motivated. Well, that would be a bit of an understatement. So here she is working at this company where really all they're asking her to do is tweak some data. I mean, she's a DBA. And if any of the reporting data comes out wrong or they didn't parse it correctly, well, then she's got to go back in and tweak it. If anybody out there has ever worked in the business intelligence arena, well, they know the tool Cognos. It's not terribly easy to use, and usually when you have to change something, you have to do it through some XML transforms. So that's Sarah's job. So anyway, back to her story. And this one time... My boss was away, and she asked me that morning if I could make sure to kick off the report. They had to manually kick off these reports to run um, at like Friday at 5 o'clock. Friday at 5 o'clock? Very important business reports that you had to run manually? Cognos? What in the world could go wrong here? So I don't know what uh, what made me um, not think of it. I'm sure I was thinking, it was, I'm pretty sure it was summertime. I'm sure I was thinking about the beach or maybe I was even on my way to the beach or, or something like that. But I completely forgot to kick off these reports um, at 5 o'clock. And the entire weekend went by, and I didn't even think about it. Um, and it was one of those things where you come in the office that Monday, and you see everyone's face. <laughs> Whoops. Well, it happens. People forget stuff. Yeah, I've forgotten stuff. Everyone does. Unfortunately for Sarah, forgetting to run the reports meant that the managers of the company didn't have the sales figures and didn't have the stuff they needed. It was kind of a big mess up, and poor Sarah was shown the door. The interesting thing to me when I was talking to Sarah at the time was that they waited until later in the day to tell her. And I said, when you looked around the office, I mean, didn't, weren't the people like looking at you going, hey, Sarah, you're busted. It's funny. She said that, well, I'll let her tell you. I came in at like 10 and usually, you know, like there was like a shift that started at eight. So they had, they had definitely come in at like eight and seen what was going on and experienced the wrath of, uh, and the fear of, oh my gosh, these reports never happened. And, you know, and it wasn't like you could run the reports and you would get them by Monday afternoon. I mean, you would probably, if you kicked them off Monday morning, 
they probably wouldn't get them till like Tuesday or Wednesday. So this is like this is like a couple days of delay. I saw uh, my boss's face, and I was just like, and it it, it hit me. And her and I were pretty close. Um, she was actually she was a wonderful lady. Um, and uh, her and I were were pretty close. And I was like, and I remember looking at her and being like, oh my god, Claire, I can't believe I forgot to do that. And she was, you know, you could tell. I mean, like you could tell she was. She felt horrible for me, and like I'm sure she took some responsibility for having me do it or something. You know, she was, she was. In fact, oh, she was crying. She was, she cried when she gave me the news. It was really, uh, it was, it was, it was really emotional for both of us. It's always fun to recount stories about earlier jobs in our lives, and well, sometimes it's funny how those jobs ended. In my case, I got axed for being lame, and Sarah got axed for forgetting something rather important. Well, sometimes these stories aren't always funny, and in the course of talking to Sarah for this show, she mentioned a second story to me, and she said, actually, this one, this one's a little bit more serious. This one kind of hurt. you actually have two stories. I do have two stories. So um, the second one was, uh, so um, after... Um, and I, I just was... noticed, by the way, that your voice dropped an octave. So this is going to be juicy. <laughs> it's actually a really interesting story and probably one of the defining moments of my career, um, to right. tell you the truth. Uh, so the company that I went to work with after the... Um, the big uh, Home Depot for contractors, they ended up getting um, about two years in, they got uh, kind of hostily taken over and their um, development team got outsourced. So um, I was back to looking for work and um, I saw this, uh, I was doing, I was doing some contract work for uh, British Telecom. I really wasn't really happy. And I saw this cool listing in Craigslist um, it looked like something pretty neat. It was just basically like the the cool part about the listing is they seemed like a fun group, and it was like some we need someone to do some web development type thing. It was kind of really uh, abstract. It wasn't very definite. So I just reached out, and um, the, the guy called me and talked to me on the phone. And when he told me uh, when he told me what the job was, so he, it was a magazine. And he wanted to put together um, what pretty much I, I see in reflection is it was a really a large scale CMS. Um, and he wanted one developer to do it. And I had never worked on, I'd never worked by myself on a project before. You know, like this is, uh, I, had, I was relatively even new to web development. I'd only been doing it for a little over two years. So um, I just, I really didn't feel prepared to do something like that. So I, I said, you know, thanks very much. Um, but uh, I really don't think I'm qualified to do this. And the guy was like, um, uh, we'll call him Steve. Uh, so Steve was like, um, you know, see, honestly, I, I love your personality. Please come in. Let me just talk to you, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you know, seriously, like, don't, you know, I cannot do this. I, I'm not qualified to do this. So they're basically begging you to do the work. 
Right. So I went in and I talked to him and honestly, uh, you know, we got along really well. Like personality wise, it was a really fun group. I mean, they worked for two weeks, six weeks at a time, and then they took two weeks off. So Sarah takes the job, as you could probably guess, decides to, why not? I'll build a CMS. I'll do it myself. She gets into it. Wouldn't you? What's the worst thing that could happen? Um, and, uh, and so I really kind of put my all into this and I, you know, immediately I decided I was going to do everything agile. I had my agile wall up. I'm like, I'm the only developer, but I put this whole wall up together and like, I used all this tape and like, I think, I think I spent a day putting this wall together with my days and my cards and I, I made my cards and then, you know, like I put together this whole schema and I, I made this big display of like what the, what the database schema was going to look like. took about uh, five months. So Sarah spent five months building an application she didn't feel that she was capable of building in the first place. She didn't even want to do it. They offered her the job. She said, no, leave me alone. I don't know how to do this. I don't have the skills for this. She ended up doing it anyway. And she built an application that she told me basically defined her. She put in a ton of functionality, blogs, every kind of CMS type of thing you could imagine, changing text around, colors, widgets, zones, all that good stuff. It's a lot of work over five months. She was proud of it. Up- upload their articles and um, there was a component, there was like a friend's component or like a more like a like like component between different businesses and, and in fact I still have the application to this day so towards the like the past the ne- the last three months of this I was working 90 100 hour weeks I was sleeping in the office like I this was my child <laughs> like this was my defining moment right and and I was going to do this um, no, no matter what I had family and friends calling me like, where are you? What's happened to you? You know, whatever. And I was like, you know, this is part of software. Sometimes you have to sacrifice this way. And one, one morning after spending most of my weekend, you know, again, working on this. Um, and uh, I went in one morning. I could tell that the Steve, the guy I was working for, was just kind of looking for stuff to find that was wrong with it. And I was like, all right, you know, we, we can change this. We can change this. Uh, and to tell you, like at this, at this point, I was just kind of like, um, exhausted and, 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 you know, uh, like toward, but towards the end. So I, I like had the end of the tunnel a little bit. And so he, and so he kind of said, uh, I'm, I really, I'm really disappointed in this and I'm disappointed in how long this has taken you. And he was like, you know, I feel like this didn't get done fast enough and I can't to tell you the truth we're losing money and I can't afford to pay you anymore and I'm really disappointed in your work it was devastating like my it had been my life for the past five months and I had put everything into it and done my best and like my best was very disappointing 
and I went devastated isn't even the right word um, it, it was I I was ex- tired and um, spent and um, heart heartbroken you know because like when you work on something that hard and, and I had built something beautiful um, I had done something uh, that I still look back on um, you know with pride when I look at it now um, and it was not good and it was disappointing and it was a failure and I went home I went home and just kind of collapsed on my couch and literally stayed there for about four days until like rescue parties came for me from the office <laughs> It happens. You get too close to your work. You get really into what you're building and you start to, well, for lack of better words, obsess a little bit. You take it on as your own because you want to build. You're creating. You're creating something special. And when you identify that thing with your own professional abilities, well, that's when things tend to get a little bit difficult, especially with the manager of the project. So I asked Sarah... You think you got a bit too close? You think that maybe your manager sensed that you were getting a bit too close, that maybe you were taking ownership of this? I, I don't know, to tell you the truth. Uh, he definitely got freaked out the days that he came into the office and I was still sitting there, like, in the same clothes as the night before, <laughs> like, at my computer. Um, uh, I think towards the, towards the end, there was a lot of, I don't want to say headbutting. Um, it was more like, it was like grating. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, I was frustrated and he was frustrated um, and you could tell in our meetings like when he would ask for things and I would be I like I finally learned the word no probably three weeks before the pro- like before before my last day I finally learned to say like and he got so I'll never forget that too he got so angry um, when I said, no, I'm sorry, that's just not possible. It was just, it was, it was kind of like, it wasn't a huge feature change. It was a feature that had already been made and he wanted me to make it different. And it wasn't a, it was about maybe two or three days of work. And I was like, I'm sorry, that's just not, it, that can't happen. It made him so, because up until this point, I'd never said anything like that. I'd been like, all right, this is how we'll do that. And like every time he would come with me, come to me with something new, I'd be like, okay, do a little research. Okay, this is how we're going to do it. And this is what you're going to see. You know, it was very, the, the whole thing that, I mean, the thing that came out of it is how much I learned. I've learned better ways to say no. <laughs> um, I've learned, um, and I've also learned uh, sneaky ways to say no. <laughs> Sarah J. Chips has a blog up at girldeveloper.com. Many thanks for sharing your stories with us today. saying that you grow up hearing a lot is that the best defense is a good offense. And apparently, according to our next storyteller here, apparently that applies to the job market as well. 
So I talked to Oren Aini, uh, otherwise known as Allende Rahin, about, well, times that he had been fired. My clients tend to pick me, mostly, because, mostly from the blog. I'm a known quantity. And the type of things that I suggest and the type of things that uh, we work on tend to be pretty fixed. They, they already pretty much knows what I'm going to do. And I'm brought over to do the actual uh, implementation, to do the uh, uh, detailed design from, from whatever they are doing to the actual uh, software to be able to convince their bosses some, that something happens, stuff like that. So that's, I, I think that that is what happens because for the most part, this is not something that happened on random. People are actually selecting me because they want the stuff that, that I'm going to argue for. So this bears a little explanation for listeners in the audience who have no idea who Ayende Rahin is. He is a prominent blogger and is uh, quite a young guy, lives in Israel, is fairly opinionated and is prolific with his blog posts, not only in the quantity of posts he writes, but also the depth and the quality. You have to look pretty hard to find a guy as well as well-versed in Microsoft technology as Allende is. He gets hired by Microsoft to come in and critique their efforts and hired by governments and all kinds of folks to come in and help out. So when Allende says that people seek him out, he's telling the exact truth. But Oren has not been fired, which I actually found to be a little bit amusing uh, because if you spend any time talking to Oren, you find out quickly that he is a passionate guy. And not only that, but he's quite forthright, uh, and some would say in your face with his beliefs, uh, to the point where he doesn't care who he's talking to. It could be a client, manager, whatever. He's going to tell them his opinion, which to me seems like the perfect set of ingredients to be shown the door. Turns out that it never happened that way. I would question why is not getting fired such a high priority. Let me tell you a story from a while ago. I spent four years in prison. That pause is for the listeners to do the horrified expression. I really, I really like to see that horrified expression, especially in job interviews. That's fine. I spent four years as a prison commander. Um, well, everything from prison guard to a prison commander. And I really didn't like that. You know that prison is really, really depressing? Even if you're on the side that can walk out the door at any time. And the problem is that I did that as part of my army service. And while I could walk out the door for, you know, a smoke or just go to the uh, cafeteria or stuff like that, I couldn't literally just walk out. I couldn't hand my resignation and just walk away. After four years uh, in a place that you can't walk away from, do you know what was my main criteria for finding a civilian job? Anything that I can walk away from, if it's unpleasant. And in 2008, uh, I had a very unpleasant project and I went to my CEO and told him, look, 
I'm not ever going to use this technology again. It's too painful. And he told me, no, we have made a strategic, strategic decision that all of our projects are going to use this technology. And I tell him, in that case, my strategic decision is to avoid pain. Goodbye. And a month later, I was off for my own path. And that was something that was incredibly important to me because I was able to walk away from a situation that was painful. Just from, painful from a technical perspective because the software was crap. That meant that I was sane in the end. Uh, you, you probably had situation where you have to work with uh, some piece of crap software that is incredibly frustrating. Being fired usually is indication that I'm avoiding pain, some sort of pain. Now, I had people tell me, okay, we had, we had great time or we had okay time or okay, fine, here is your paycheck and we won't meet again. I couldn't emphasize enough how this is important for my mental health. The ability to just walk out. Um, a lot of the things that I'm actually doing is done explicitly to ensure that I would be able to um, to have the choice of doing X or doing Y if I wanted to. You could read more about Oren Ainey and his musings on life on his blog at Allende.com, A-Y-E-N-D-E.com forward slash blog. up it's my turn and i get to share a story with you i've decided to entitle the coyote contract but what happens when you get into a situation working on a contract where there's no way out except to gnaw off your own arm A while back, I picked up a contract based on a recommendation from a good friend. It was with a company that he recommended, and in turn, he recommended me to them. And I don't normally like to work with friends. Um, however, I had worked with this person before, and I really liked them and liked what we did together. And moreover, it was working with technology that I really thought was neat and that I really wanted to work more with. And finally, you know, one of the main reasons for doing stuff like this is I needed the money. So we came together one day, sat down and did a meeting, and I got to meet the people that my friend worked with, and uh, the meeting went pretty well for the most part, except for two main things, sort of stuck in the side of my head, if you will. Uh, the first is when they described the project to me, uh, they told me about this main bit of intellectual property, or IP as they say, that I'd be working with. It was sort of the core of the entire site. The algorithm is what we called it. And uh, I said, wow, that sounds outstanding. It sounds like a really interesting thing. I, I can't wait to actually, you know, throw some data at it and get it to work. And they said, well, actually, 
uh, you're going to be working with it. And they said, oh, great. Well, you know, I'll sign an NDA. I'll do what you need me to do. This is exciting. And they said, no, you don't understand. You are building it. And I remember at the time thinking, this is the IP of your client's project and I'm going to build it? Okay, well, um, I can probably do that. However, I don't know C++ and some of the deeper languages I'll need to complete this. Uh, but, you know, if you give me the specs, I'll do what I can. And they said, no, you don't understand. You're going to build it entirely. that at that point I probably should have shaken hands and gone up and walked away. I decided that maybe I misunderstood something. Let's just move on. Uh, the idea sort of stuck in my head like a bit of a splinter, but I decided let's move on. Why not? So the next conversation was with the business person who arranged the contracts at the company, and the person said to me, first thing verbatim, so nice to meet you. Um, you should realize that we were going to outsource your position, and I'm hoping that your rate will be commensurate with something I could find offshore somewhere. Is that going to be a problem for you? Now, believe it or not, I'm sort of used to these cheese ball maneuvers from companies. It does happen. So instead of discussing rates, what I usually do is just say, look, I'll work within your budget. I prefer not to do an hourly thing. I usually base things on delivery of a scope. So I'm sure I can come to an agreement on scope. Normally, I would walk away from this job. I would have walked away in seconds, but I didn't because of those three factors. It was a friend of mine that I wanted to work with. I needed the money, and this was some fun technology I wanted to work with. So I said to myself, you know, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. with the details. You can probably fill in the gaps. I got to work with a project manager from 1998. You know, the guys came in to the whole dot-com boom from Fortune 50 companies thinking that because they could run IT or another group with a small bit of a technical discipline that they could tackle startup life and software development. I got the 5 p.m. Friday calls demo on Monday. Oh, and by the way, I need you to add these five little pieces to the scope and I trust you can complete them because, uh, you know, I need this, buddy. They refused to talk to their own client. He said, every time we talk to our client, they add scope to the work. If we talk to them, they're going to add scope. 
and then we're going to add it onto yours. You want that to happen? Neither do I. finally got to the point where I did the only thing that was possible because the scope was changing to a point where it gained a life of its own. And we've all dealt with creeping scope. I'm a professional. I manage these things. It wasn't a matter of saying, hey, listen, Mr. Client person, you can have this, if that, and starting to talk about time or even getting more agile. They were running the project. I was just a developer that was also creating the IP. It was a rather ridiculous place to be, and I knew it. I knew it the entire time. But call it pride, call it desire, call it whatever you will, I decided I could stick this through. I kept thinking to myself, look, you've been doing this for 20 plus years. You should be able to fix this ship that is sinking. You should be able to write this and make it all happen. Well, let's call that pride. I thought I could do it. I clearly could not. So I thought, well, let's just see if we can settle up this first bit of scope, this contract that I wrote. And so I sent him a letter and I said, hey, could we uh, see if we could settle up this scope and then move on? It's been three and a half months. And they said, you know, politeness. Sure. What do you think is finished? And so I laid out a long list and I realized, yikes, there's a lot of things that I did do that weren't in the scope. There's a lot of things that I did do that got thrown away. I realized exactly where this discussion was going to go, and I was right. They came back, decided to settle on their own terms, told me they'd give me half. So I took it. I said, okay. I just went out. could have avoided all this. I know that. This is probably the worst part of the whole thing for me. I knew it the very first meeting. I knew it first month, second month, first week through the 12th. I knew it the entire time, but I kept believing in myself. You know, call that pride, if you will. Call that hubris. Maybe I was being arrogant. Maybe I felt like I could do more than I possibly could, but I kept feeling that I had a number of years of experience that I could put that to use and I could deliver against all odds. It is something that I've prided myself on doing for a long time. And in this case, I lost. It was a very bitter pill to swallow, financially and otherwise. But I took the financial hit as a penalty, as a penalty for not walking when I knew I should have. Some would say, isn't that kind of a penalty for believing in yourself? That could be. I prefer to see it as a penalty of being a little bit too proud. podcast is brought to you today by TechPub, purveyors of fine educational screencasts for developers like you and me. You want to learn stuff like jQuery, Sinatra, Rails, ASP.NET, MVC, Entity Framework, Silverlight, Threading, on and on. 
Head over to Tech Pub. It's a simple monthly membership. All you can stream, or you can pay for an annual and download your videos. My name's Rob Connery, and this has been This Developer's Life, a semi-regular podcast. Basically means whenever I can get to it. Thank you so much for listening.